you would do that. Numbers chapter 13. I have, uh, uh, don't have as many preliminaries today. We had some people sick, and so uh, I have more time to get into the message today, which is good. I have something I teased a couple weeks ago that I really want to unpack today, and um, hope today's message you'll find to be um, uh, very applicable. And uh, um, like I said, I, I, that's going to be something easy enough for a child to understand, but I think something really important for us to take to heart in our Christian life as well. Numbers chapter 13. Starting in verse 1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers. Shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them? Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. And all these men were the heads of the children of Israel. I'm going to stop right at the end of verse 3. And you can glance down through all of those good Hebrew names. And I'm not going to read them, all right? I'm just, why butcher these poor gentlemen's names? I I would. And so, uh, verse 17. Let's jump in verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain. See the land, what it is, the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, be ye of good courage, bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men came to Hamath. They ascended by the south, they came unto Hebron, where Ahim... Sheshai, Talmai, I'll try those. The children of Anak were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zaan in Egypt. They came into the brook of Eskel. Cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. They bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. And the place was called the brook of Eskel. Because of the cluster of the grapes, which the children of Israel cut down from thence. They returned from searching in the land after 40 days, they went and they came to Moses, unto Aaron, to the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh. They brought back word unto them and to the other congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land, whither thou sentest us, surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled, they're very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we. They brought an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. The people that we saw in it are men of great statue. There there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. We We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask now your blessing 
on the preaching of the word. Lord, we have an opportunity now to open up our scriptures, to open up this blessed word of God that you have given to us. And Lord, to see a, a, a story we're familiar with, Lord, one we, we probably know well, been taught Sunday school classes for generations. Lord, there's some application here for us today. Lord, I pray that you allow me to unpack that. Lord, give me the words to say. Allow me to be your vessel this morning, used to share that which you have laid upon my heart. Lord, we ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. In the book of Numbers, and I'm preaching through the book of Numbers, if you're visiting with us or haven't been here for a few weeks, I wanted to preach through the book of Numbers, and we're doing it kind of account by account or story by story, not verse by verse, Um, and uh, uh, I wanted to encapsulate the the, the essence of what's going on in the book of Numbers. Most of the book of Numbers uh, is the story of what happens in the wilderness during the 40 years uh, when they're not yet allowed to go into the promised land, and we see the reason for that here in chapter 13. So I think we would agree chapter 13 is kind of a a key chapter, a pivotal chapter into what goes on in the entire book of Numbers. There's several key stories in the book of Numbers that I think we can learn much application from, several that I've looked at in my preaching through the years, uh, many that you should be familiar with. In the book of Numbers, we're introduced, I think we looked two weeks ago, at manna, uh, the fact that the people were given a heavenly food, something that God provided for them out in the wilderness. They didn't have means of getting their own food. They were, they were a nomadic people at this point. God divinely gave them a food to eat, and the application of that we talked about a couple weeks ago. We saw them uh, reinstigate uh, God, uh, by his command, on the second anniversary, uh, instigated a, 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 from now on, we're going to honor the Passover, we're going to remember the Passover. And so they began to do that, and they began to remember that. We can see the parallels between the Passover in the Old Testament and uh, uh, the Lord's table or communion service in the New Testament. There's some strong parallels there. This is one of those stories. And as the uh, people have come to the edge of the promised land, it's, it's been two years since they left Egypt, just about two years that they've left Egypt. And they've come to the edge of the promised land here, Uh, they've organized themselves, they have some structure, they have a tabernacle, Uh, they've uh, set up how they're going to arrange their camp each time. There's three tribes to the north, three to the south, east and west. So they're organized, they they have their food taken care of. Uh, All these things have become set now in these years of wandering, these first couple of years. And now they've come to the edge of the promised land and God, God's perfect will, is for them to go in. God, in his foreknowledge, knows that they won't, right? They're they're not going to. And so there's going to be another 38 years for a total of 40 years of that wandering in the wilderness that we understand so well. So here they are on the edge of the promised land, and there's some concern and fear. We just read that one spy from each of the 12 tribes went into the land. They checked out the land. They were supposed to look at the land and the agriculture, at the resources. Is there wood? Are there things we can build with? You know, what's the land look like? What's the food look like? What do the uh, dwelling places look like? Are they nomadic people or do they have walled cities? 
who's in there, how equipped are there. Let's get the information and have a, an idea of what we're getting into before we get into it. So just real quick, remember, God, God had given this land to Abraham. God had taken Abraham and had him look as far as he could and said, this is the land that I'm giving you. Abraham had dug the wells and prepared the land and his son Isaac and then Jacob, Jacob's 12, 12 children. I mean, they had lived on the land and then famine, famine had led them to go to Egypt. That, that travel and that plan to go to Egypt to avoid the famine, the expectation was short term, right? We'll just be there for a little bit and we'll go home. In the meantime, Regime changed in Egypt. Plans changed in Egypt. The next thing you know, these Israelites were living in little cottages because now they were slaves of the Egyptian people. They'd become dependent on the Egyptian people, and the Egyptian people had enslaved them and were using them as their workforce. And so 400 years they ended up spending there. Now they've come back. So this is the land that God promised them. This is the land they're supposed to be at, but I think it's easy to understand that none of these people were around 400 years ago, right? They have no idea. They, they haven't seen it. They don't know what it's like. Uh, uh, listen, not even dad, grandpa, Uncle Joe could tell them about it, right? It's been hundreds of years. So they don't have an idea of what it's like, of what it looks like. They have, there's probably some, some folklore type of understanding, but they don't know. And so Moses takes 12, he sends them in, they, they, they spy out the land. And they come back and they gave a report, which I read. I thought it was interesting, the, the grapes that were harvested. That seemed to be an emphasis on that, right? They cut down a, a thing of, of grapes, a, a cluster of grapes, I think would be the right farming terminology there. And it took two of them to carry it back. Uh, I, I've been to some places and seen grapes grow. My grandfather was pretty good at that. My grandfather had a nice grape vineyard type thing on the side of his garden trellis area you could go inside and they grew their own grapes made their own grandma made her own jelly clusters of grapes i saw were like this big you know right so i don't i mean these grapes were something right this is a land they said that flowed with milk and honey it was very very productive land the food looked great but the people were scary they had walled cities. They were tall. I, I think there may have been some exaggeration, perhaps, on the Israelites' thoughts that they seemed like grasshoppers to them. You know? These people were, there were some, some giants in the land. We, we might get to know one of them later on, right, in the story with, with David. But there's some giants in the land, and so there's some, some big people, the Jewish People felt small compared to that which they were looking at. They, weren't, they didn't have uh, the tools necessary to breach these walls. And how are they going to fight? They're not a trained military force. They're out in the wilderness with their wives and children. They left Egypt not long ago. They've been slaves. They don't have a military. They're not trained fighters. They've never breached walls and conquered cities. What are they going to do? So, I, listen... It is easy, I think, for you and I to sit here today and uh, uh, what would we teach our kids in Sunday school, right? 
12 spies went down to Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. That's the song. If you know it, you could sing it, but I'm not because I would butcher it, you know. But 10 were bad, 2 were good. Well, those 10 had, listen, they had a valid concern, right? I mean, we don't have a military. We don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to fight them? How are we going to breach the walls? It was Caleb that spoke up. Do you notice that? It said he stilled the people. And you can see that as the report's being given and as the concern is rising and as the fear is rising and as the, well, what have we traveled this far for? What are we going to do? We're going to live in this wilderness forever? As that murmuring has started, it is Caleb that stills the crowd and says, wait, 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 wait. The God who brought us across the Red Sea and brought us to the edge of the promised land can get us into the promised land. God will take care of it. But the people's heart had melted, the Bible says. They they couldn't, by faith, step out. And so they listened to that advice of the ten, and they, they were reluctant to go. And reluctant to go to the point that God finally said, that's it. If you don't, by faith, go in, you're not going in. Everybody over the age of 20, which were, you know, in some regards here, the voting people of voting age that had a say in this, you're going to die in the wilderness. And 38 years from now, or the end of 40 years in the wilderness, your children can go in. Your children's children can go in, but you're not going in. Forget it. And God knew they would do that. Again, and God is all-knowing. He knew the decision and the heart and where they would be at. So, every, uh, I, I, even, I even Googled this last night, and I had already done all my research from great sources. So as a last resort, I used Google too, you know. What, you know, what, what do people say about this, this analogy, this picture? What is crossing the Jordan and going into the promised land? What is that a picture of? And, and every good commentator, every good book that you might uh, research or, or every good uh, pastor or um, uh, speaker on this subject that you might look at would agree that this is a picture of going into a, a, a spirit-filled life where God wants us to reside, of walking with him, of victorious Christian living, of, of not being content with the status quo, but being fully in the will of God. Those are some of the different, different terms that were used. I brought with me a little commentary from Warren Wearsby, and I thought I would read one paragraph from his commentary on this. Warren Wearsby would be my, my go-to, my number one source on things like this. He says this, In spite of what some of our hymns declare, and I, listen, I, I think we have a lot of great doctrine and great things in our hymns, but some, like, for example, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's pure and happy land where I'll forever fly. If you read verse 2, it talks about it being heaven where God forever reigns. So sometimes some of our hymns or, or some of the pictures are that Canaan's a picture of heaven. Well, and I think Warren Wearsby is going to make this point. So I'll just let 
I'll just let him make it. Canaan is not a picture of heaven. Certainly there won't be any battles to wage as we enter into heaven. Like the Israelites were going to have to, right? There was going to be a Jericho. There was going to be an Ai. There were going to be battles when they got in there. Rather, Canaan is a picture of the inheritance God planned for each of his children today. A picture of the work he wants us to do and the places he wants us to occupy. Paul referred to this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 specifically, about the good works which God has prepared for us. The Lord has a perfect plan for each of his children, but we can claim these blessings only by faith and through obedience. And like the people of Israel centuries ago, many believers today walk by sight and not by faith. So I think the most important lesson we can draw from the book of Numbers is this. We so often are content to live a, 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 a lesser Christian life than God has planned for us. We're content to live a Christian life of just getting by rather than walking in the perfect will of God that he has planned for us. His perfect will for the nation of Israel was to get into the promised land. He had prepared it. He had miraculously brought them to the edge of it, right? Miraculously brought the the plagues, got them out of Egypt, got them across the Red Sea, provided their food miraculously, provided their water miraculously, got them there. He had led them with a, a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. They had seen his hand and And if you will, fast forward 40 years, when they do go into the promised land, he miraculously gets them across the Jordan River. If you remember, when it was time to go, the banks were flooded. And they crossed the Jordan River, much like they had crossed the Red Sea. And then he brought them to Jericho, and boy, did God have a plan for that. As the walls crumbled down. God had a plan. God was miraculously going to guide them, but they were scared to go. Why? Why were they scared to go? I wrote down real quick. One, there were giants. They talked about that. There were giants over there. These people are bigger than we are. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. We're we're intimidated to go because they're too big. They felt they were not prepared They they didn't have military training. They didn't have any of the tools necessary. And they were concerned about the walled cities. We we live in tents. They have walls. Again, the first place they come to is Jericho. How are we going to do that? Not only are we not prepared, we don't have the tools for it. We're just, uh, we're, we're smaller than they are. We can't do this. There's a problem. So they were fearful to go in because of that. So, if, if the promised land is a picture of living the victorious Christian life, the inheritance, God's perfect will for us, and, and I wrote down living the Christian life, walking in the Spirit. And I'm going to emphasize that, all right? Walking in the Spirit. But this, we're all talking about the same thing here. Living a Christian life that is not, not barely getting by, but a Christian life that is on fire for God. 
if we're scared to go there, if you and I have the opportunity, we've, we've been saved. We, like the Israelites, were saved out of the bondage of sin. Miraculously, God started a new work in my life. The moment I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and say, God, I am a sinner. I cannot fix my situation. But you paid for my sin. The moment we admit what he has done for us and accept his free gift of salvation, we are free from the bondage of sin. We've been miraculously brought out of that sin and into a land where we are dwelling with him. And I think, like the Israelites, we see his hand in our lives. Right? And sometimes, listen, sometimes in spite of ourselves, we see God's hand in our lives, the things that he's providing. What was he providing for them? Well, he was dwelling with them, pillar of fire, pillar of, of, of cloud or smoke. He's giving them food. He brought water out of a rock. He's, he's kept them safe. I mean, God has done these things for him, and I think you and I can give credit. Now that I'm a Christian, I can see God's hand in our lives, how he provides for us, how he, what he does for us. And God says, but listen, come here, right? Bear with me. God's saying, come here. That's the promised land. And I want you to live the Christian life like that. I want you to walk in the perfect will of God. I want you to claim, as Warren Wiersbe said, the inheritance. I want you to live a victorious Christian life. It was something I heard my dad preach a lot. To live a victorious, not a defeated Christian life, because some people do but a victorious Christian life. Listen, here, I, I was thinking about this a lot as I was uh, trying to go to sleep last night, and this was on my mind. I think the difference, uh, there's many, but here's, here's one. I, I think the difference is this. There are Christians who their faith is defined by the fact that they go to church on Sundays. And people know that they go to church on Sundays. And, oh, they're, they're kind of religious people. They go to church on Sundays. Where the person that's walking in the Spirit and is in the will of God, their faith is defined by the way they act every day. And people look at them and say, there's something different about them. Yeah, they go to church. But beyond that, lots of people go to church, go to some religious place, fine. But, but there's something different about them. It seems like they really know God. Like they get their prayers answered. Like they're walking different. There's something different about them all the time. That's walking in the spirit. I think that's living in the promised land as opposed to being content to live in the wilderness. So why? Why do we as, as believers look at the edge of the promised land and not want to go in? Right? I, I think... We understand why the Israelites went to the edge of the actual promised land and were intimidated. We understand why. They had lost their sight of God. They had lost their faith. God had provided a way. They missed that. They just looked at the reality of what was in front of them, and it was too much. So they stopped. Why do we? Why do we look at the spirit-filled life and say that? You know, I mean, listen, in a... Uh, uh, I hope, and I've been trying to do this some on Sunday nights. I will continue to do this. 
But I want you to know about great Christians from the past. People who lived a life dedicated to God. And see what God did in their lives. And, you know, I hope you read some biographies of great Christians and get to know some great Christians and how God used them in a very special way. I would, I would encourage that. But you read through these biographies of your George Mueller's or John Wesley, Dale Moody, and so many others and see how God used them in a powerful way. And we look at that and go, wow, that's really exciting. But I'm not doing that. Why? Why don't we? I wrote down some reasons that I came up with. Why I think we don't, we, we're not... We're not willing to step into the promised land. Number one, like the Israelites, it looks intimidating. It looks intimidating. We go in like, I I can't have my prayers answered like that. I can't live for God all the time like that. That looks like, wait, it looks like a lot of work. It looks like a lot of effort, right? And it is. It just doesn't come easy, right? It's just not not a coat we put on and, 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 and changes everything. It's going to take some effort on our part. So it looks intimidating. Number two, I wrote down, we don't really see the value in it. In other words, we're kind of content to live the way we are. Like, I, listen, I, I, I'm sold out for God on Sunday mornings at 1040. You know? I got, you know? I, we don't say that. We kind of live that way. Like, I got it. I go to church every Sunday. I got it. I have a Bible there beside my bed. We're good. And God says, listen, there's, there's more to the Christian life that's available for you. There's more to the Christian life I want for you. God wants to have that relationship with us. He wants us to spend that time in prayer where we talk to God, and we looked at this two weeks ago, the way Moses talked to God and knew God in a personal way. He, it's not exclusive for Moses. He wants you and I to have that too. He wants us to be so excited about him and about our relationship with him, that we can't stop telling people about it. You know, that every conversation gets around to talking about the Lord. And we start to talk about it. He wants it to impact our lives so that it changes the way we live, the decisions we make, the way we look at things. And we start to look at things through a biblical lens. I wrote down number three on my list. We don't want to deal with sin in our lives. Because if you're going to live spirit-filled life, a victorious life, we actually have to deal with the sin in our life. And I'm convinced more than ever, and this has been on my mind, this is another message for another day, but we are really good at giving excuses for our sin. I'm convinced we are. We are good at giving an excuse for our sin. We can rename it, relabel it, make it something else, give every excuse for it, and still not be obedient to God and think we're okay. God, we we have to deal with the sin if we're going to live a victorious Christian life. And I think all too often we're content to hold on to the sin. You know, it's just too hard to deal with, so I'm just going to try to ride along with it. No wonder we have, we're off tracks when it comes to living the life God wants us to live. I wrote down, we don't want to put in the effort slash time slash sacrifice that it takes. Because it's going to take that to live that life. We don't, we don't want to do that. Something. Listen, I, I am convinced more than ever that living in 2022, we are busy. 
We are busier than any generation getting less done. You know? I, I, we are, we, our schedules are packed. They are. I, I'm convinced of that. Mine is. And I got back from vacation last night. I have uh, work today, of course, here. And wouldn't you know, every appointment that we've been trying to get is tomorrow. You know, I, I mean, it starts out early in the morning with Desi at the doctor's, and we have a vet appointment. I have a board meeting tomorrow. We, I, I think there's two, one or two other things. All these appointments lined up tomorrow. So as soon as we get back, it's appointment, 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 appointment. We can, we can schedule ourselves to death. You know? We can come up with a million things to keep us busy. And so if we're going to live for God, listen, listen, something's got to give. There is only so much time in our day. So we're going to have to sacrifice something. And it's always the thing we don't want to sacrifice, you know. Sitting in the recliner for three hours in the evening watching whatever might be it, you know, but we really like the recliner, right? I do. I have, a, I have a recliner. I really like it. Just before I went on vacation, Desi bought me a new slipcover for it because it was showing some wear. So now my recliner looks brand new, you know. <laughs> I was on vacation. I missed my recliner. I like my recliner. But if we're living for God, something says we need less recliner time, you know, less whatever. And more time living for the Lord. It's not easy. It takes some sacrifice. And I've given the example many, many, many times, and I think this is a, um, uh, I'm going to say extreme example because it seems extreme to us. But the great John Wesley spent three hours every morning in prayer before he started his day. And I think we would agree, uh, he, he got a lot done. He accomplished a lot. A lot of great works written by John Wesley, a lot of, a lot of sermons preached by John Wesley. Denomination founded through John Wesley. A lot done. We still talk about him and refer to him often today. He got a lot done, and yet he spent three hours every day praying. I've had people say to me, I don't have time for that. I, I don't think John Wesley had time for that. But it tells us he usually got up at four in the morning to start praying. I think he sacrificed Sleep. He sacrificed something to change the trajectory of his life. He had to sacrifice something. Something had to give. What is walking in the Spirit? What are we talking about? I, I, have, I, I went through some of my notes from the past and put this together for us today. I don't want to just leave that hanging. I think it's so important. When we talk about living the victorious Christian life, Claiming our inheritance, being in the perfect will of God. Listen, there are some degrees of that that are unique to me and you, but different for each of us. In other words, geographically and specifically, where God wants me to be and what God wants me to doing to do is unique to me. But there are a number of things that are blanket for all of us. So we're going to focus on that. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is not rocket science. If you do all the things we know we're supposed to do, the specific details fall into place. If I'm living the life of, uh, spiritually that I'm supposed to, I don't have to wonder where I'm supposed to be. God has me where I'm supposed to be. 
You say, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it did not make sense for the Israelites to go up against Jericho either. It did not make sense for these unarmed, undermanned Israelites with their wives and children in tow to conquer a land of giants. It didn't make sense. And, and it doesn't always make sense for us, for us when the pastor says, it seems too cliche for the pastor to say, okay, do the things we know we're supposed to be doing and you won't have to wonder where, when, why, and how. God opens that door. If you put this first, the rest falls into place. Listen, I'm going to talk about this a little bit tonight, but let me share this real quick, just to give you an idea. Uh, I'm, as of, I, I'm, I know I'm weird with these little numbers, so bear with me. But as of today, I've been preaching at Cedar Hill for 17 years and 10 months. My father pastored Grace and Truth Bible Church for 17 years and 10 months, and, and he died, right? He died. And so, you know, that's when the Lord called him home. So I've pastored here as long as my dad pastored Grace and Truth. I don't know how that's possible. Because my dad, you know, he was an old man and preached forever, right? But somehow I've preached at this church as long as he pastored Grace and Truth. I don't know how. How in the world did I end up from paint salesman to pastor of Cedar Hill Baptist Church? How did that happen? Listen, I, I think if you put these things first... You don't have to start looking for open doors. God opens them for you. They didn't have to figure out how to get across the walls of Jericho. God tore the walls down. You know? They didn't have to figure out how to wade across the Jordan River at flood season. God just opened the banks, pushed the, excuse me, dried the banks and pushed the water back. God just took care of it. And we wonder about the particulars, like how's that going to work? How could, how could I do this? Or what about that time? I don't know if I have time for this. God says, just do what you're supposed to do. So I wrote down some things. Listen, there needs to be daily surrender to his will. Once and done doesn't cut it, right? Praise God, once and done cut it when I accepted him as my personal savior. I accepted him. I am now transformed. I'm regenerated. I've been redeemed. One time, I only had to accept the plan of salvation one time. But now every day, I have to pick up his cross and follow him. Every day, I have to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians chapter, take my glasses off. Ephesians 6, it's too close. Ephesians chapter 6, so that I can stand. Every day, I have to do that. Every day, I have to surrender to him. Every day I have to determine to die to self and live for him. It takes daily surrender. It takes feeding the spirit. I have to feed the spirit of God. If I'm going to walk in the spirit, I have to feed the spirit. I, I, I know this sounds redundant, but where do I go for food for the spirit? In the word. I have to get in the word. I have to know his word. I have to feed the spirit. I can't starve the spirit and expect the spirit to, to, to lead me. I have to feed the spirit. 
I have to be free from sin. I have to be free from sin. I, not, not, listen, we're not going to be sinless. There's times we're going to stumble and fall. We're not sinless until we're with him someday in our glorified bodies. Please understand that. But I think we've become too content. The uh, Bible talks about the sin that doth so easily beset us. And I think we've become very content and happy to embrace certain sins in our life. We just embrace it. We just live with it. We've learned to live with it. We've just accepted it. Well, that's just who I am. That's my personality, you know? It's the old thing, you know, well, I can't help it. I'm Irish. What? Wait, wait, are you going to tell God that someday when you're standing before the judgment? Oh, God, you made me Irish. I couldn't help myself, you know? No. You know, if that's, if that's our weak spot, then that's what we need to work on. If that's our, if that's our problem... That's what we need to address. We go to the doctor for, you know, the doctor doesn't say, well, yeah, I can see. It looks like your leg is going to fall off. Well, you just learn to live with that. You know? No, that's the problem, right? That's why we're here. That's what needs addressed. That's the problem. We need to deal with the sin in our life, the sin that we've learned to accept, the sin that we're so easy to just put up with, that we're able to just coast with, we, that we think we can. Number four on my list, we need to learn to abide. That's John chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you. We need, I think we need to learn how to do that. And that goes back to the sacrifice and the time. It takes time to abide. Listen, I, I don't abide with him when I'm abiding with the TV. You know? I don't abide with him when I'm abiding, doing all the other things in life. There has to be time when I'm abiding with him. That's, that's Bible study, that's prayer, that's meditating. That's spending time with the Lord. How do we do that? Well, we other things have to give. I have to learn to abide. He encourages us to do that. I need to be then, and I will become, sensitive to his leading and direction. Sensitive to how he leads and directs me. I was thinking about that in, in Sunday school this morning. I was listening to Brother Walker as he was teaching, talking about uh, Peter, Cornelius. Talk, talked about in there. I was just thinking about this. Uh, uh, so Peter preached at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon the people. People were now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You even saw that as that story progresses and Peter preaches and it says they accepted the Lord, they were filled with the Spirit, then they were baptized, so they, the Holy Spirit came upon them. So this is, a, this is a new thing to believers, right? A new thing post Jesus Christ ascending. He said, when I ascend, I will send you the Comforter. I will send you the Spirit. So people who accept Christ as personal Savior now have the presence of the Holy Spirit within them. And it tells us in the midst of that story that Peter did as he was led by the Spirit. That was a new thing. Peter, think about the disciples as a whole for a minute. They, they were believers. Most of them, most of them, not all of them, most of them were believers before they ever met Jesus Christ. They had listened to John. Some of them had been disciples of John the Baptist. They had heard the preaching. They were looking for the Messiah. 
they were looking for the one that was promised. Some of them even, even talked about that and said that. Remember the one to his brother. We have found the one that we've been looking for. They were, they were not unbelievers. They were believers. But look at the difference of the disciples in the Gospels versus the disciples or the apostles in the book of Acts. In the, in the Gospels, they're, they're a little confused, right? They get off track. They ask some bizarre questions. They don't seem to always understand. There's some times when they, when they deny, run, flee, aren't there, fall asleep. What, could you not pray with me for an hour? No, they're sound asleep. They didn't get the urgency of the situation. But then look at the apostles slash the disciples and their, their stories in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, the Bible says they turned the world upside down. They were sold out for God. That, that's, that's the difference we're talking about. Are we willing to just live a Christian life where we're just somewhat plugged in? Or where we're sold out making a difference for him? Ultimately, my list of things here about walking in the Spirit, my desire needs to be this. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. And I really, more than ever, the older I get, I, I think that's a problem in our Christian life. It's, Lord, I want to do your will alongside my will. These are all the things that I want. This is how I picture things to be. This is what I need. This is what I want. And I want to add you to the mix. He becomes part of the pie chart of our life instead of being the entire chart. And so, listen, we saw that when the Lord was praying at Gethsemane, when those followers had fallen asleep. Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. that, That change of mindset and change of priorities is going to change whether we're walking by faith or walking by sight. The Israelites who followed the ten, the ten spies, they were walking by sight, right? They were looking and saying, "Eh, eh, we can't do this. And by sight, that made sense, right? By sight, they were smaller, unarmed, ill-equipped. They didn't have the tool. By sight, that looked right. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, who are the only two that are going to survive this, right? Those two will see the promised land. Those two will go in. They're the only ones over the age of 20, that will be allowed to go in. Why? Because they walk by faith. And I don't know about you, I always felt bad, kind of, for Joshua and Caleb. They walked by faith. They still had to wait those 38 more years. They had to walk around with the rest of the malcontents for 40 years out there in the wilderness before they were allowed, but they got to go in. Remember Caleb? I want that mountain. Give me that mountain. God's promised me this piece of land. I want it. I'm going to claim it. To have that victorious Christian life is what standing on the edge of the promised land for you and I should be. It's not easy. But I dare say, when we get to heaven someday, And we are 
in that celestial land. We are with him. We're going to look back and be so glad that we walked in that land and not in the wilderness. Not, not where we thought it was good enough. We need to have a long-term perspective here, an eternal perspective, a, an eternal destiny for our souls. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had today. We thank you for the privilege of being able to look into your word. Lord, this is a familiar Bible story, but Lord, the application can't be missed. It cannot be missed. Lord, you don't want us to be content to live as wilderness Christians, just content to get by, just we've done enough, we're so busy, we can barely... Lord, you want us to be sold out for you. You want us to abide. You want us to walk in the Spirit. You want us to live a victorious Christian life. And Lord, not be content to just do the bare minimum. Lord, I pray that we see the urgency of that in our lives today. Lord, I pray that we understand that. Lord, perhaps there's one here that's never accepted you as Savior. Lord, going back to those Israelites as they left Egypt, Lord, they understood they needed to leave that bondage, and it was not easy. There were times they looked back and, and, and questioned themselves of the commitment they made, but Lord, perhaps there's someone here today, Lord, that commitment looks difficult. That commitment of saying, I need to accept Jesus Christ. I know that I'm a sinner. I, I thought I could be good enough to overcome that. The word of God tells us that compared to Jesus Christ, our righteousness does not compare. It's filthy. And so, Lord, I, I pray that if there's one here today that's never accepted you as Savior, Lord, may they see their need of, uh, of, of, of Jesus Christ. Lord, you promised us, John 3.16, you've offered us a free gift. We don't have to do anything for it. We have to believe it's by faith, the same faith we've been talking about here today. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that's never accepted you as Savior, may today be their day of salvation. In this time of our closing and, and invitation prayer, I'm going to do something I do from time to time. I'm, uh, if, if that's your heart's desire, I'm going to pray a model prayer with you, just a similar prayer. But I would invite you to pray to the Lord yourself today to accept him as Savior. Something along the lines of, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that you died for my sin. Lord, I want to turn from my sin and accept you and your, and your precious gift of salvation. Lord, will you save my soul? I hope and pray if you were here today and you've never made that decision, that you pray those words, something similar to that. It's not, it's not the words we say, it's a change of heart that makes a difference. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that's done that, perhaps they would have the boldness to come to me later on and say, Pastor Wes, I prayed with you today. I'd just like to encourage them, help them, give them, give them some things to help them grow in their Christian life. Lord, we thank you for the time. Lord, I pray that the rest of us this morning, if we know you as Savior, Lord, may we not be intimidated to step into the promised land you have for us. It's not always easy. There's going to be some sacrifice. Lord, I pray we're willing to take those opportunities. 
Lord, thank you for this time we've had. Lord, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand together. Our last song.